So welcome to the Global Discussion, Discussions with Creatives, Leaders and Thinkers. I'm delighted to be joined by Jewel Kim today. Jewel, you're very welcome to the podcast. Let's begin by asking you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your journey and the areas that you focused on. So over to you, Jewel. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. I'm so excited to be here. So I'm a life coach and I'm based in the Seattle area and I primarily help people with their self-doubt slash imposter syndrome. I help them recover from burnout and I, I help them find clarity or their next steps, especially if they're going through some kind of transition. And overall, it's really about helping people to gain awareness so they can understand how to make better choices that are aligned with what they actually want. Let me ask you, Jewel, I mean, that's such an important topic in today's busy, you know, full on, always connected type world. You know, the word burnout is certainly something that people are very familiar with. But how did you get into this type of work? What led to this type of work? Oh, man, that's such a good story. Uh, well, hopefully, I think it's a good story. <laughs> I'll let you be the judge of that. What a lot of people don't know about me is I used to be a photographer. And before that, I was working in corporate companies like Microsoft, Amazon, a startup. And I'll tell you this, that people don't talk about enough out there is it may take you a while to find what it is you're meant for. Like, what is your purpose? What were you put on earth to do? And we place a lot of pressure on ourselves to figure that out. So I see this, especially with 20 something year olds, they think that their primary goal is to figure this out right now and not to be judgmental or dismissive, but I'm like, you're 22. You haven't really seen or experienced enough. Most, you know, 22 year olds, you simply have not lived life enough to understand what you like and what you don't like. And this is just something I see all the time. We do this even to children unwittingly. You know, maybe some of this is because we simply don't know how to talk to children. But a very common question adults will ask kids is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so it's actually instilled from us at a very early age, this idea that you're supposed to know what it is you're going to do. And and yet it's not something that's taught to us on how to think through all of this. And then what happens? We feel pressure. We feel pressure to make a choice, to make a decision. And we don't know how to deal with uncertainty. And so what happens is we then go into something, something, anything just to get out of that uncertainty. We enter careers or start businesses just to make money. And so money becomes the only goal. And then all along, we have set the pinnacle of success to be more money, more money, the bigger house, you know, the better car, maybe I need, you know, the quote unquote, quote unquote, perfect spouse or the life. But the overall question still remains, what is it you actually want to do with your life? And since we then place all of our measures of success on these external uh, signals, we keep going down this route, ever specializing in things that we don't really like. That's what leads to burnout. And so how I ended up here is having gone through this road over and over. And it's a little bit like Groundhog's Day, but stretched over many years. I kept hitting burnout over and over. I was constantly frustrated, not knowing what it is 
I wanted. All I knew was I don't want this kept starting over. And in my corporate life, I was just seeking that next promotion, which I think a lot of people can relate to. But for what? What is it that next promotion was going to give me? Other than more money, I had no idea. So it's really a combination of personal experience and then recognizing that I was not the only one. And so what's interesting is people will do this funny thing in their thinking. We tend to think that everyone else is busy being successful and we're the only ones having problems. We're the only ones in this challenge or in this suffering, you know, experiencing some difficulty. And I don't know what it is that makes us do that, but we think that we're the only ones experiencing that problem. And what I've come to see is through photography with all the people I was coming into contact with doing their headshots. And now, especially through life coaching, of course, you know, this is a self-selecting group of people who want help with their problems, but this is way more widespread than we think. So it's, it's all of this, seeing what's out there, seeing what I've led my life, you know, everything that's led up to this point, and then understanding, oh my gosh, if I'd had some help in that critical thinking piece, how do, how do I think through what is, what is it that I want out of life? If I'd had that help much earlier in my life, I probably would have ended up here sooner. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And um, you said something there that I think is so important. Um, And it reminds me, I was talking to a gentleman called Simon Alexander Ong recently, and he's a, you know, a keynote speaker. Uh, He's worked in finance. You know, he studied at the London School of Economics. He ended up joining Lehman Brothers a year before it collapsed. But he's wrote a book which was published by Penguin Random House recently. And um, one of the things he was saying to me was, you know, often in life, people are running somebody else's race and they don't realize that until it's too late. And it's, it's a little bit like the, you know, the line about, you, you climb the corporate ladder only to realize you're on the wrong ladder. And it sounds a little bit like that. And that, that burnout is a very common, a common thing that we hear probably too much today. But the other thing that you said that I found fascinating and so true, Jewel, is that a lot of people struggle with this. And yet it's only maybe in more recent times that people have been okay to start talking about it. It's kind of like people struggle through to get to the next level, to get that promotion, to get that pay rise, et cetera. And, you know, I think the question you poised is is so poignant, which is for what, Where, what are you actually trying to achieve? You know? Um, so, so tell me in terms of the work today, um, is it a particular course that you do? Is it working pe- with people one-on-one? Is it taking people through a particular process that helps? Or how does it work in, in you know, sort of the mechanics of it today in helping people um, when it comes to that burnout and how to create maybe that better life? It's usually one-on-one. Sometimes I'll hold workshops or, you know, group coaching type of um, presentations. And... And even in the group coaching presentations, though, it's only one person being coached at a time. And the benefit is that everybody else watching will probably find some piece of that that relates back to themselves. But what I find really what helps people the most is that one-on-one time with me. And something that I know we're all aware of, but we probably don't fully understand the impact is 
when we join group coaching programs, usually because of financial aspects, right? Group coaching tends to be a little bit cheaper than one-on-one or a lot cheaper, depending on who it is. We make that choice, but what we don't understand is sometimes we are entering a space that we don't actually feel fully safe. And if you don't have that sense of feeling, of feeling fully safe, it is a lot harder to actually pinpoint what fear it is you're holding inside of you that's keeping you stuck. And so whether it's the fear of maybe I'll put all this work into stuff and nothing will change. Maybe it's the fear of deep down, I'm, I'm somehow not smart enough to make this work. I'm, I'm not smart enough to actually learn. You know, that was actually my deep fear for a very long time. And, and so there's this thing with group coaching or any group environment where people will automatically censor themselves, they'll edit themselves, they'll hold back, because it is a hard thing to be vulnerable in front of other people. And maybe you trust these other people to some degree, but it is a very different experience when it's only you and one other person. It's a lot easier to place your faith and trust in one other person, especially someone who has been trained to not be judgmental. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what what about this you mentioned children early, you know, and you were sort of commenting that, you know, maybe some people don't know how to talk to children or, you know, the way that we, I suppose, get educated from an early age about this stuff. And I know that you you talk about the culture and how the culture of the way we do things probably doesn't serve us very well when it comes to, like, our critical thinking skills. So, you know, how do you actually figure out what your purpose is? How are you figuring out what are you here to do? So, you know, do you have to sort of go back to that first? You know, you have to try and figure that out a little bit because otherwise you just seem to be stuck on this other ladder that maybe you want to get off or you, you know, you're a little bit tired of or you're not maybe feeling a little bit lost. But where does the culture and the education come into it? And maybe that those critical thinking skills or that figuring out part really is what I'm saying, Jewel. The figuring out is really multidimensional. Like at the end of the day, you simply have to go try out enough different things in different places, work with different people, try different projects. You have to try different things. You have to be open to that. If you are not even open to the idea, that's the next step. What is it that has you holding on so tightly to this life that you know you don't love and maybe you even hate, and yet you're so afraid to try something new? That's where all of the other pieces that you mentioned really come up. Who has taught you that it's not acceptable to quote unquote, go backwards, to start over, to make less money? Like, where does that come from? You know, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is the worst that will happen if you make less money or if you make less money than your wife? So there are so many different pieces, culturally, socially, economically at play. And yet at the end of the day, it's all a smokescreen. It's all a smokescreen for your fear. And again, we come back to this idea of being vulnerable. Most people are so afraid to look in front, not in front, deeply within themselves and actually confront the thing that is sitting there. We have certain corners, like if you imagine a house, 
there might be some parts of your house you don't really go into that much. It's very similar. Probably don't go into your attic all the time. You don't have a burning desire to clean out the attic and make it, you know, like a livable place, perhaps, or your basement. You know, it depends on what that is. But we all have shadowy corners within ourselves that instead of bringing light to those corners, we just shut them off. We try to pretend that they don't exist. We feel that those parts are unlovable. And therefore, we are unlovable. Instead of recognizing that those parts are just simply unloved, they're ready to have love at any time. But we make that mean something about ourselves, like there's something so wrong about us. And so all of this ties together. You know, the simple, the simple answer is that any coach out there will say, take action, take massive action, take messy action. And it's like, okay, sure. And I see most people will agree with that. They're like, that you're so good. That's so right. But then they're not doing it. And if you're not doing it, now what? What's really going on? And that's the part we have to look at. Yeah, I love that, Jewel. And it, again, I'm, I'm reminded of something that um, I was speaking to a lady called uh, Aisha Bursal, who's a, a very well-known designer. She's been involved in industrial design. She's worked uh, for Herman Miller and, you know, car manufacturers around the world, et cetera, and big brands. But she wrote a book recently called The Long Life because we're living longer because modern medicine has improved. People are maybe able to eat a slightly healthier diet, which is helping too. People are exercising more. So we're living a much longer life. And I think that the points that you're raising about, you know, who said you can't go back to take a step forward? Who said you can't quit something to try something new? Or shining that light onto a different part of your life. And I think I think what you're saying is probably more important now than it's ever been, particularly when we're looking at this long life and, you know, whether it's a rich life that you actually want, that you've designed, um, or whether it's just something that you're doing to get to the next level to make some more money. And I think that's such an important thing. Do you think the way we work today with, you know, remote working, the future of work, having gone through a global pandemic in different shapes and sizes, depending on where you are in the world, and the, you know, the advent of social media and technology and, you know, the constant 24-7 news streams. It, do you think all that is contributing faster to burnout? Or do you think it's all just the way it's always been? You have to go back and look at this um, this life that you're trying to create and what's important to you and build it from within. Um because it's a very different landscape, say, to when my parents grew up or when, you know, when I was a child, there wasn't really an awful lot of counseling going on, if I'm honest. There wasn't a lot of therapy happening. There wasn't a lot of leadership coaches around. There wasn't an Instagram culture. There wasn't, you know, this standard that you had to live up to. There was celebrity, but it was different to the celebrity that we look at today. Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Joe? I do agree that in terms of our parents or grandparents, they come from a different generation. For them, it was much more about survival. And for them, it was also much more about here is a formula to success and a happy life, right? You may or may not have gotten your education or you would either get your education or you would have a trade. You would then go into a career and climb that ladder. You would get married, have two kids, and voila, you have what's called the life. <laughs> How many of these people were actually happy? Probably not that many to start with. But what they had that I think we don't have is 
the idea that there weren't that many choices. And because it was much more the expectation that you didn't really have a choice, this was just the path, people were more willing to commit and stick with it. And so I believe that a lot of people reached higher levels of acceptance. And now today, when you're talking about the technology, the pandemic, social media, working from home, all these changes, I do believe that they contribute to an acceleration in pinpointing these pieces within your life, within yourself that you're not happy with. We fall into the comparison trap. And often we don't understand that we're unhappy except through comparison. We don't understand that there's something better for us out there until we see someone else living the life that they have something that we didn't even know we wanted. And yet the comparison trap doesn't offer us the solution or it offers us what I call the distractions. So there are so many paths to success, but when they're not your paths to success, they're just a distraction. But people hate feeling uncertain. They don't like feeling uncomfortable. They don't like not knowing. It's a basic human need for certainty, for survival. And so again, we come to this thing of we make a decision just to make a decision. That'll make us feel better temporarily. But then again, we get to the end of that. We reach some quote unquote level of success. We find that there's still something missing. And that's the thing. Like that's the thing we're missing. We haven't actually learned what it is that we truly want. For whatever reason, it's always easier for every, everybody to say what they don't want. But when you ask them, what do you want? People have a hard time answering that. Yeah, hundred percent. And um, when it comes to uh, that question about what we want, um, often you can be quite good at something or pick up a skill in something, you know, in a corporate job, for example, and then you get good at it. And so you reinforce that behavior. You know, I, I'm thinking of whether it's a big corporate company and you have a particular skill that you build on over, over a number of years. And because you're good at it, I know you, you've spoken about this in the past, that you can confuse that with, well, just because I'm good at it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what I want in life. And I'm also reminded of, say, the startup culture where it's work, work, work. It's, you know, full on, it's busy. And the, the term hustle culture comes to mind where people are just working so hard at trying to achieve something. And yet... Very often, you know, if you drop back in five years later, they're doing something completely different. And, you know, there's almost that reinforcement, whether it's the culture of, you know, some types of startups or whether it's the culture of climbing the corporate ladder where you get good at something. And so it's re it's almost reinforced. It's it, Is it hard to break or, you know, that seems to be a real challenge with today's lifestyle. It is. You know, there's a couple of things at play here. You become a specialist at something, whether in your job or your business, you become known. And what's different is if you look at where you are after you've become some sort of specialist versus when you first started out, when you first started out, you had so many possibilities on the table. But then as you started going down that path, you start taking away the other choices on the table. And you might think, okay, well, that's natural. That's the path to making more money. That's the path to building like a better brand, a personal brand. This is the one thing you're going to be known for, all of that. But at the same time, if 
this is the thing you didn't actually fully make a conscious choice around on whether this is aligned with you on what you want. You're just sort of digging your grave deeper, unfortunately. And then what happens is you reach this point of being the expert. You are now at a point where there's a lot to lose. Okay, your reputation, um, your identity even for some people. It's very hard for them to think of themselves as, well, what if I'm not the teacher who's been whatever, you know, a professor for 20 years, then what do I have left? It's, and that's the question, you know, this is what you go to therapy or coaching for. Well, who are you really? And then the other thing that people really struggle with is they don't like being terrible at something. And that is what keeps them from whole, starting over, essentially, a lot of the time. It's not just the money. Outwardly, the rational answer is, well, I have a lifestyle. I have a family to support. I can't make money or I can't make less money. I can't not have health insurance. I really need health insurance. Whatever it is, like that's that's the stuff on paper that they consider acceptable to give you as answers to that question. But what they're not saying is, you know what? I really hate being bad at something because they know that they might be judged for that. And yet that's such a natural human thing. Nobody likes to be bad at something. And, and to be able to restart your journey and to accept that you're probably not, not going to be that good at something for a while, you're probably going to be making less money. You're probably going to have some level of judgment from people around you for changing your mind, all of it, the worst, most uncomfortable pieces, those are the parts that they're not actually admitting. Thank you for the, for sharing that, for your insights there, Jewel. And what, what about um, imposter syndrome? What about, you know, people that have that sort of inner voice that's telling them, well, maybe, you know, you're not that good you, you, you know you're, you're pretending you're going to get found out because that seems to be a common thing that comes up too where people feel the quite strongly that imposter syndrome you're right it's very common i believe studies will show that easily around 80 percent of the people out there regardless you know no matter what industry or what background you come from, what country you're in, this is a very widespread thing where around 80% or more will feel and or have felt feelings of imposter syndrome at least several times in their life. Now, to what degree you feel it is going to depend on your culture, simply how were you raised and what situation are you in now? And what I mean by that is Imposter syndrome feelings are typically triggered by you being different in any significant way from the group of people you are spending your time with. So whether that's at work or school or your social circles, you will probably feel imposter syndrome. And then the other things that will often trigger imposter syndrome feelings are if you enter a change of some sort. So if you get a new job, or if you're like me, where I left corporate and started my own business, that's a huge change. Did I understand that at the time? No. For some reason in my head, I thought this was just like not that big of a deal when it's actually a really large change. My life up until that point had been, oh, I'm the product manager at Amazon. 
I have the status of that blue badge at working, you know, at these really large, well-known companies. And to suddenly have that gone, I didn't know how to handle that. And then, so circling back to how you were raised, I'll give you an example. As an Asian American, Korean who grew up in Alabama, I fit all the classic characteristics of someone with imposter syndrome, but just didn't know it. Like the imposter syndrome seeds were being sprinkled very liberally in my mind, you know, to take root. So I grew up in an area where it's primarily white and black, very little, you know, people, very few people who are Asians or any other race or ethnicity period. I looked at the census data back then, and we're talking less than 1% of the population. I think it was like 0.02% maybe. And, and you grow up in that place thinking that you're so different. And of course, what's the number one thing all kids want? They want to fit in. Being different is, is just terrible. You don't want to stand out. You don't want to stick out in any way because you might get fun, fun of, you might get bullied. And then you take that. And you have parents like mine, who I know they're not extraordinary or different by any mean, means they're telling me all the time that you have to be better. It's not enough for you to excel. You have to excel like three to five times more than all the other people. You have to prove that we belong. And so it carries this innate assumption that we don't belong and therefore have to prove our worth here to just even be there. And so that keeps going on. You know, it's not enough that I get an A. My parents are like, why isn't this an A plus? You keep carrying forth that sort of messaging into the rest of your life. So you go into work. And by this point, if you're starting work, you're usually around 25, maybe. And you don't know that these things are driving your behavior. People look at you funny. You or maybe even people give you compliments. Oh my gosh, you're so smart. I loved your presentation. If your immediate reaction is to think, oh no, like that was nothing, or, you know, I had a lot of help. If you find yourself dismissing or discounting that compliment or that praise, that often points back to the imposter syndrome. So it's it's all very deeply rooted. And depending on all the factors that play, it'll depend on which one of those things really takes the driver's seat for you. Thanks for sharing that, Jewel. That's that's some great insight. And I'm sure our, our audience around the world will find that uh, very helpful. Um, I do want to ask you a couple of other things as well, because I want to I want to find out a little bit more about you, the person. And one of the things I like to ask my guests, Jewel, is about their own particular learning style. So w- when you take on board information, do you like to read books? Are you an audiobook person? Do you scour the internet? Are you just finding yourself listening to podcasts? How does that work for you? And what kind of things do you like to take in from a mental perspective? That's an interesting question. And I don't think anyone has ever actually asked me that. So thank you. Primarily, I'm a reader. I will listen to things and I have a pretty good memory. So I'll remember information either way, but there's something about actually seeing the words on a page that helps me recall it. A little bit better than just hearing it. But I would say that's just the crack in the door opening. In terms of where my deepest learning comes from is actually through conversations with people. So I'll take something that I read in a book or something I heard somewhere, and there's something about it. Like I'm trying to tease out like the depth, trying to really understand the nuances of this. That's when I take that into conversation with my closest friends or even people like yourself. 
you know, is there's something about having live dialogue with another person and having their perspective to really pinpoint, like, what is this thing really about? Because the stuff you read in books, that's great and all that advice on the internet, but it tends to be surface level. It's great for if you're at the beginning of your journey, but if you're looking for something more, if you have read everything out there and there's something that you're still not like totally clicking on, you might want to have a conversation with somebody. That's what I always advise. I think that's great advice. And uh, it's a bit like driving a car. You can read as many manuals as you like, but until you actually hold the wheel or press the gas pedal or the electric pedal, I should say now, um, it, you never fully uh, learn. Uh, so it's very, you know, you, you can technically learn how to drive a car, but you can't actually fully learn it until you experience it uh, in real life. And I think people that that uh, learn through conversation and dialogue with others, I think it's such a valuable, uh, valuable skill. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Julie, if I can, is throughout your journey, whether it was, you know, the corporate life through your studies or whether it's, you know, now uh, with the work that you do now, um, you must have met people that you admire or that have inspired you along the way. And if not a particular person, is there a particular character trait that you like? As cliched as this is going to sound, probably the first person to inspire me was my dad. And if you look at his story, he came from Korea. He went through horrific physical trauma with um, his hands in a physical accident. He was able to start a life where I am not exaggerating. He and my mother, when they got married and had me, they had a total of $600 to their name. They didn't have any properties. And yet through this whole thing, they were able to build businesses, send all four of us children to college. You know, they were entrepreneurs and there's just something about that spirit that we don't see very often today is this absolute unwillingness to accept anything other than what you're, what you came here for, right? To build a life. For my dad, when I asked him, how did you do this? He said, he literally just pulled himself up and was like, it's either this or we don't survive. So there was no other option. And that's how he's proceeded. And I know some people out there will think, oh, well, that's desperation mentality is not helpful. But what I read in my dad is determination. He had this absolute iron will of this is the thing in front of me, and I'm going to make this work no matter what. How many people do you know in your life today who approach life with that sort of resolution? We don't see that very often anymore. We're all very quick to say, oh, well, this isn't working out. I'm going to go over here to this other thing. And then over here, you know, we keep switching. So it's that, it's that conviction. You know, he stuck it out. And so that level of commitment is just so rare. And then in terms of today, I would say right now where I'm at, I'm fascinated by Brene Brown, as are a lot of people I know. And then for a, a character trait, it's, it's curiosity. I'm always fascinated by curiosity because as adults, we rarely actually bring that into our lives. We see little gaps in other people. We see things that don't make sense. And we're all too quick to sort of fill in those gaps. 
And in my profession as a coach, I'm starting to understand like just how tightly chinked we've got our walls. Like we're very quick to mortar in like the little pieces, the cracks, instead of asking ourselves like, why is there a crack? I really love what you said, Jewel, because I mean, the story of your father and what he, you know, through determination, courage, love, uh, lots of lots of qualities that, you know, and no option, probably, you know, it, I just have to do this. I mean, that's a really inspiring story. Um, and maybe something as you, I know, as I grow older, you kind of look at people um, and you you kind of go, how did they do that? You know, they, they were actually miraculously uh, achieved something, you know. Um, and we don't hear enough of those sort of everyday stories. You know, we we often hear the, the A-list names or the same names in the press all the time. But uh, I'm often really inspired, like like you said, with people very close to me or people in my immediate family who've done things which have, you know, which are really outstanding when you look back at it. Uh, and I love the curiosity. I really like that a lot. I was talking to Tom Morley recently as part of this uh, show. Uh, Tom was a founder of a band called Scritti Politi, which were very, very famous in the 80s. Um, and the word he used uh, was mischief. He was talking about being a little bit mischievous. Uh, but I like what you said there about curious and the way that we always try to, you know, mortar up the gaps in the walls as fast as possible when actually being a little bit curious is a really good thing in life. I really love that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, moving away from, say, people or character traits, was just about advice. Now, obviously, you spend a lot of time helping and coaching people and sharing advice. But there must be advice that you've received along the way, you know, that piece of advice that you say, oh, my goodness, I'm really hanging on to that. That's I wish somebody had told me that earlier. Or is there some advice that you are often imparting that you think is important for our audience to hear? This I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but there's something around the stage of life I'm at. And the things I'm really coming to understand about myself and people in general is the best advice I ever received were was from the cartoons when I was like five or six. And the advice of being just be yourself. And I don't know if other people are like me or if I'm just weird. But when I was that age, I simply did not understand what that meant. Or if I heard it, it very quickly, I rejected it. I thought that was just dumb. <laughs> And what I'm coming to understand now is it is really the truth to just be yourself and to own that. Because if you don't own that, what happens is you don't listen to yourself. You don't trust yourself. You don't listen to your own voice of intuition because you're so busy trying to be who you think the world wants you to be. So you look at other people for guidance, you want their advice. And hand to God, no one is ever going to know better than you what you want. Like, they're just not going to know that for you. So you can ask all you want. You can read all the books. You can take all the courses. But really, you have to know yourself. And in order to know yourself, you have to allow yourself to be yourself. I, I like that a lot. Um, I, I particularly like the fact that you started by saying, you know, uh, maybe it's a little bit, maybe I'm a little bit weird here. Maybe it's just me, but the cartoons when I was five and, you know, immediately my mind went to the fact that I, I know there have been times even recently where something like a penny has dropped in my mind and something's clicked and I've gone, 
oh, okay, I get that now. And then I've spoken to other people about it and they've said, well, of course, you know, but I think certain things slot in at different times in your life. And, you know, it's like if I if I knew now what, you know, sorry, if I knew now what I thought I knew then, because your, your perspective changes and you're learning new things and you're taking on board new information. And I think sometimes that that thing drops in and I don't know why, but it seems to drop in just when I need it, which is a which is kind of a good thing. Um, but it's, I'm glad to hear that somebody else has that as well, you know, because often you can say to yourself, be quite self-critical and say, oh, maybe I'm just a bit slow here because everybody else seems to be getting this, whereas I'm only just understanding that, oh, that's what that means, you know. Um, such a powerful thing, so thank you. Um, as you look forward, uh, you know, and people like to plan in this busy, determined world, but how does that work for you from a planning and an ebbing and flowing perspective and that curiosity that you want to bring in and why that's so important? But do you plan a week in advance, three months, six months, 12 months? Have you got a three-year plan? How does that work for you when it comes to what are you trying to achieve over the next 12 months? People are probably not going to like this answer. So I have a plan, but it has no dates to it. I have the goals that I know I want to achieve, but I don't set an actual timeline to this. And what I'm waiting for is to feel within myself, given where I'm at with everything else going on in life and what I actually want in that moment, I will usually only plan out one to two weeks in advance. And I know a lot of people are probably going to judge me for this, but yeah. So in terms of what I have planned over this next year, there are really only two things that I want. And so one is to fully build out, build out my one-on-one -on -one coaching business. And two is to get more public speaking opportunities. When that's going to happen, I'm not totally sure. Does that mean I'm not taking any action? No, I'm, I'm reaching out to people. You know, I'm having fabulous conversations with people like you. And I'm actively putting the feelers out there. I'm creating content. And I have a sort of roadmap drawn for myself in terms of here are all the steps that I know need to happen in order to get there, but I don't punish myself with a timeline because when we set timelines, those are totally arbitrary. We pick a date for whatever reason. And when we don't, or if we don't meet that date, we feel all kinds of ways about ourselves that just doesn't help us. So I don't do that to myself. I'm pretty forgiving. Like you said, the ebbs and flows of life. And I'm leaving room in my life to have some flexibility. I like that a lot too. Um, and it's not very often somebody will say that, they'll, you know, that they have this, this is what I'd like to achieve. Uh, but whether it, it will just come to me or it, it will happen because I'm putting enough of the right stuff and I'm heading in the right direction. It's very different to the way people often talk about planning, isn't it? When they're very, such tight uh timelines and goals and i must do it by this certain date and to some degree there's a little bit of a parallel there with the the lack of curiosity and the the the, the mortaring of the gaps in the wall there's a, that's a very one way like a very tight closed way of planning so um it's refreshing sometimes to hear a different way of approaching the year ahead so thanks um the other thing i suppose before we run out of time jewel is is there anything else that we haven't talked about. We haven't talked much about your public speaking, for example. 
Um, but is there any other area that you, you would like to maybe focus on before we wrap up today that our international audience should know about you or any other topic or area? And also, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you about your coaching work or about your public speaking, where's the best place to send people to? My website, adviceactually.com. And you can email me there, hello at adviceactually.com. So that would be the short answer. But in terms of if there's anything else that people should know about me, I would have to say there's this thing about, I, I have a burning fascination with how to be more curious and essentially how to be a better coach. So there's so many coaches and consultants out there today where I know you have clients where you tell your client, you're basically giving them treasure in all this information. There's a plan. You're mapping it all out for them. All they have to do is just follow the plan. And yet they're not doing it. And so then that tells me it's not actually about the knowledge. There's something else holding them back. And it is your job as the service provider. It's on you to figure that out. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. You know, I know plenty of people who they only want to work with people who will take immediate action. If the people don't take action, they cut them from their programs. And I'm like, gosh, well, that's awfully unforgiving. But if you're somebody who really wants to help your clients get results, then this is the program I'm trying to build right now. I love mentoring other coaches. You know, why is it that your client isn't moving forward? Like what is actually holding them stuck? So I teach people how to ask better questions and essentially how to understand people better. Well, that I think is a great note to end this discussion on, Jewel. Thanks so much for sharing the information, the insights, and sharing a little bit about the journey uh, and uh, all the great work that you're doing. Uh, so thank you to Jewel uh, for being with me today. Thank you to everybody around the world who's been watching or listening to this episode. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, do all the things I need you to do to help support the podcast. And I hope that you join me back here for some more discussions with creatives, leaders, and thinkers. But thank you, Jewel. It's been a pleasure to catch up with you today. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Simon. 